The Triathlon Hour is brought to you by Pillar Performance. Magnus Ditlev just won Challenge Roth in one of the all-time performances, and something he's added to his daily routine in 2023 is taking Pillar Performance's Triple Magnesium 45 minutes before bed every single night. I've seen Magnus's Whoop data personally before and after using Pillar, and it's honestly completely changed his recovery for the better. So seriously, if you're training for triathlon, you need to try Pillar's Triple Magnesium at least once, and you'll see for yourself why everyone is starting to use it. Use the discount code HTT20 for 20% off your order when you do decide to grab some. great to have you here for a special Challenge Roth recap episode of the Triathlon Hour. It's equally great to have Belinda Granger here, who was the lead commentator for the race on the weekend. And so we're going to sit down and talk about everything that took place. Belinda, off the bat, was Roth this weekend the best triathlon race experience you've ever had? Oh, honestly, like I've been in the sport for over 30 years now. This, is, this was my eighth time here. In Roth, I've raced it 10 times, worked it eight times, and just even talking about it now to you, I've got goosebumps. It, it truly was the most incredible day of racing and for sure the best experience I've ever had in long-distance racing in my life. A couple of really, um, you know, I'll give you a couple of easy questions off the bat and then we'll go into the, the more specifics of the race. Was Daniela Reef's performance or Magnus Ditlev's performance more impressive to you? Yeah, that, look, we've been talking about that quite a bit uh, since the race has been uh, won and done. And for me, per- and I think, you know, this differs from person to person, but for me personally, it, it has to be Daniela Reef's. I mean, she's she's 36 years of age. She's been around for a long, long time. A lot of people thought that she was, I don't think necessarily done, but that we had seen the best of Danny Reef. And we all know that she she left her old coach. And I think she did that. I think she needed to do that, Jack, to find herself again and to find happiness within the sport again. And she's come full circle. So she's left, she's come back. She's, I mean, uh, and I know it's controversial. I know we've been there, done that with you know, going back to her old coach. But I mean, look at the results. They speak for themselves. Uh, her, her performance on Sunday was nothing short of spectacular. She did she didn't just break Chrissy Wellington's long standing record. She freaking annihilated it. I mean, in minutes on a record that had been standing since two thousand and eleven. And she seemed to do it with relative ease. There was there was probably only a couple of moments throughout that marathon where she looked like it was starting to hurt her a little bit. But other than that, she did it with ease and I sat down and spoke to her at the volunteers party last night and you could just see that she was she was so happy and so content and the love with for the sport was back and and that's that desire to be the best ever was back and oh I, I seriously think we've got more to come. I don't think we've seen the last of her. I think she's still got years left of greatness. That's what excites me more than anything. It's crazy to think that 
she beat not only Al Haag by 13 minutes in second, who up until Roth on the weekend was looking unbeatable at any distance in, in, in the world this year. Exactly. Yep. She also beat the, the next fastest time ever by 10 minutes. You know, it's just a crazy, crazy thought to think that no one has come within 10 minutes of what we saw. Like, that's a big margin at this distance. Oh, look, absolutely. And we, we, we speak about, we've got so many incredible athletes. And right now, the sport of triathlon, in both our, our pro men and pro women, it's to me, it's the most exciting time in triathlon because we've got so many incredible young athletes coming through. And I'm sure we can talk about that later when we talk about Magnus. Uh, but just let's not forget about the great athletes we already have. Um, the likes of Danny Roof and what is now possible. I remember when I was racing, Jack, for a female to crack nine hours, it meant you'd made it. And I remember when I cracked nine hours here in Roth, I thought, you know what, I finally made it. And and now we look at the times that these women are doing um, and it's just, it blows my mind because what is possible? I mean, are we going to get to a point in time where cracking eight hours for the women is going to be something that's possible. And and athletes like Chrissy Wellington, let's go back further, athletes like um, Natasha Bardman, uh, Paula Newby New Fraser, um, and then you've got Chrissy Wellington and, and now Danny Reef. They are the athletes that are making this possible. They keep raising the bar. And then you throw in you throw in things like the sub seven, sub eight, and what Kat Matthews was, was able to do. And I think it just opens up something in, in all these other professional athletes' mind and like, you know what, maybe I've been setting the bar too low. Maybe I need to, to, to set it a lot higher and, you know, the world's my oyster. And, and, and now what Danny, Danny's done this weekend, we can have all these professional women thinking, shit, I'm going to raise my bar a little bit higher because I think, you know what, I think this is possible. And that's what I love the most about what, what happened on the weekend with Danny Roof. I think she's just... She's opened a whole new playing field. And I think the crazy part was Daniela made everyone else look like they were having just ordinary days. But the reality is Unhug only didn't break the, the world record, the pre-existing world record by Chrissy Wellington by 10 seconds. And if she was winning that race and knew, she could have found that 10 seconds, for example. And that would have been the fastest time we've ever seen in the world. 13 minutes behind what Daniela did on the day. Laura Phillip was having what I believe to be one of her best races ever. Um, Chelsea Sadara, up until the point where, you know, her stomach got the better of her and she she ended up in hospital, was having probably the second best race I've ever seen her have in her career. Fenella Langridge, you know, again, I think the best race she'd ever had in her career. The same could easily be said for Lisa Norton in fifth. They were all having fantastic days. Daniela just made them look, I don't want to, I don't want to risk saying something offensive, but she almost made them look like a like didn't deserve to even be in the same race as her. That's that's how far ahead she was. And, and they were having some of the best performances of their lives, but not only their lives, that the sport's ever seen. Yeah, and you must you have to wonder what these women are, are thinking today, okay, when the dust settles. You know when the race goes on, you know, adrenaline's running high, uh, the after party here in Roth is like nothing else. But then it's, it's, it's the week after um, when the dust starts to settle. And that these athletes will go back and analyze their race. They'll go through swim, bike, run, and a race where they should all, every single one of these athletes that you've just mentioned, should be so incredibly proud of the performance that they put forward on Sunday. But they're going to look at the numbers and then they're going to compare them with Danny Reeves and they're going to go, well, you know, what do we need to do? Uh, she was in a different postcode. And 
you're dead right. It, it's going to be a tough pill to swallow because they every single one of those athletes had amazing races and broke records and did the best races of their careers, yet they were still so far behind Danny Reef. And, and I don't have the answer. I really don't have the answer because I look at Danny's splits and I think for both our men's and women's races, you know, we always say, you can't win a, a long-distance race from your swim, but you can certainly lose a race. And, and nothing could be more true because both Magnus Ditlef and Danny Reef set themselves up in the swim. Nobody, nobody expected Danny Reef to swim on Fenella Language's feet. I'd been going through the stats with Torsten all week, and we we knew Danny was a good swimmer. We knew she'd get out with, with the next pack, with that chase pack, but none of us expected her to sit on the feet of Fenella language and talking to Fenella after she was the same. She's like, shit, I didn't even realize. She goes, when I, I knew I had company, then realized it was Danny. She's like, oh, okay then. And that set her up for the greatest race of her of her life. And it's funny to think because you, you never think the swim's going to be the thing that makes or breaks you. And I think for Danny, once she got out of, uh, out of the water, it's such a great position. It just gave her that inner confidence to, to say to herself, you know what? Today is the day I feel it. I have got the goods and I'm going to make, I'm going to put on a, a spectacle for everyone here to watch and far out didn't she do it. I still, I still, I'm sitting here talking to you, shaking my head because it's still, even her, she woke up the next day and she said, I just, good to know it wasn't a dream because really no one could have predicted what she was, what she was going to produce on Sunday. It's a great point you make and probably the thing I've spent the most time thinking about. So I want to I want to start in a little bit of a different spot here. So Daniela Reef's bike was amazing. She's forever been the the greatest cyclist we've ever seen in triathlon. For sure, the greatest long distance female um, cyclist we've ever seen. Like no question about that. And she rode four twenty two, which was you know Anne Hag in second and Laura Phillips <laughs> third rode four thirty nine and four thirty seven. So she's 17, 15 to seventeen minutes up the road. And Chelsea Sadara was Crazy. about the same. You know the closest person to her was. Lisa Norton, and she was uh, the better part of 13 minutes back. But that's, so that's Daniela Reef. We know she's capable of that. Did it shock me? Did it surprise me? Absolutely. Absolutely. It did. I could not believe what I was saying. <laughs> I thought, like I literally thought it was 2018 again, but, but the thing that I can't, I just, I, I'm struggling to process the swim. I, leading into the race like you, I thought, the best case scenario for Daniela Reef in the swim is that she comes out of the water with Chelsea Sodaro. But I thought that was unlikely. I thought it was far more likely that she would be in the group that Laura Phillip was in, which which is probably the group Arn Hag would be in. And as it turned out, Arn Hag and Laura Phillip did swim together. They came out of the water in seventh and eighth in 54 minutes. Leading into the race, if you told me Daniela was with them, I would have said, that's a really good swim for Daniela at the moment. Like I think that's upper end of what she's capable of. If you had to told me she she would have been with Chelsea Sodaro, who was two minutes ahead of them, I would have gone, yeah, I can see it. Like she must have had one of the best swims of her life. She was two minutes ahead of, of Chelsea Sodaro, 50 minutes, four minutes ahead of Alan Hag and Laura Phillips. She swam on Finale Language's feet, which really there's only five, six women in the field who can who can do that. I, like it, it almost doesn't make sense to me, Belinda. No, I look, I, I agree. And as I said, you know, I, I start studying for these for these event, big events weeks and weeks in advance. And I was working together with Torsten Radder. And of course, you know, you can have the numbers on the pages um, and numbers, you know, while we, we like to look at them and they definitely help, 
you know, as well as I do on race day, there's always someone that, that, that does something out of the ordinary or something spectacular. And we, we were thinking about that. We were looking at all case scenarios uh, and we were saying, you know, okay, if she has a great day and we were just like you, Jack, none of us, none of us had even contemplated that she would get out on the feet, on, on Fenella's feet. And, you know, you speak to Fenella post-race and she said, no way. And it's not like Fenella had a bad swim. Fenella had a great bloody swim. Fenella did exactly what she does. Um, every time that she she starts a race, she always swims hard. She swims strong. But it, it's just that Daddy Reef was in the in in the form of a life. But I think more importantly, not only was she she in the shape of a life. I think more importantly than that, Jack, I think mentally she is in such a bloody good place. She's a happy person, inside out. Um, she's happy in her own skin. She still loves the sport of triathlon, and she still has that desire to be the absolute best in the sport. And when I spoke to Danny yesterday, she said she came here with one aim and one aim, with one aim and one aim only, and that was to beat that record. And so there was nothing else. She wanted that record because she wanted to show to everyone that, you know what, I'm not I'm not done and dusted yet with this sport. I've still got plenty to give. So yeah, it was, she went out and she did exactly that. So yeah, it was amazing. I, I absolutely loved watching her race. As I did every other woman that was on in the field, and I mean, Jesus, wait, wait, wait for Nice later this year. I mean, it's a scary prospect, don't you think? <laughs> yeah, I, the the big thing will be what now happens at Nice, and will we see Danielle Reef in that form, or will we see what what happened when she won the Ironman World Championships in St George, which was very similar to this. You know, completely dominated the field, one of her greatest performances ever, and then she was nowhere to be seen that later on that year in Kona, and and had a really poor um, rest of the year. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see whether that's what happens again and she has this amazing result in Roth and then she's nowhere to be seen in Nice and, and has a poor back end of the year or or is she back and is she going to be consistently this good from from now until the end of the year? That's 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 probably the most interesting part going into Nice. Um, the, the other ladies you spoke about, so Alan Hard comes second, Laura Phillip for third, Fenella Langridge fourth, Lisa Norton fifth, um, Chelsea Sadara was looking like she was going to come second. She she looked the next best in the race. She was she had a really good um, swim, a, a really strong bike, and she was running very well. But um, did a late DNF. She had severe stomach issues, uh, like really severe stomach issues on the run, and she ended up in hospital um, and and had a shocking end to her day. But but up until that point, was having a, a good run. Is there any anyone else that you think we should touch on in in the women's field, Belinda, or anything you want to say about those girls? No, look, and, and you nailed it with Chelsea Sodaro. She definitely, the beginning, so the beginning half, so the first half of the marathon, she looked the goods and, and we thought for sure from the studio that she was going to be definitely on the podium. We didn't know it what order. It was all going to depend whether, you know, between her and Annie. Uh, and then, of course, at around that 30-kilometre mark, she started to wobble over the road. So not only did she suffer from severe stomach pains, but she was severely dehydrated to the point where she wasn't really seeing straight and ended up in the back of an ambulance and yeah, had to get uh, quite a few, um, a lot, a few IVs of, of um, electrolytes and put it back in. But she, to her credit, you know, it would have been quite easy for her to just disappear and, and not come back to the race. But she, the next day we have, it's very important, um, we have a volunteers party on the Monday afternoon and that's where they really like the professional athletes to come and, and show you know, the respect to these volunteers, seven and a half thousand volunteers at this race. 
And, you know, when you've DNF'd from a race that you thought that you were going to win, or at least, you know, finish right up there on the podium, it's very easy to just say, you know what, I'm not going. But to Chelsea's credit, she's such a professional. She she turned up with her husband and stayed the whole time and was just an absolute, she's an absolute legend. And you can imagine, Jack, being the world champion and then having this happen, a DNF, it's, it, it is not easy. Uh, but she was amazing. So hats off to Chelsea Sadara. And I have no doubt that she'll she'll go back to her team. They'll reassess. They'll see where she went wrong uh, with her nutrition and hydration and they'll fix it. And, um, yeah, we'll see her firing again for the, the latter half of the year. But I think you've noted with most of the athletes, some of the – there were some young German women that finished really, really well in that top 10 that we didn't expect to finish in that top 10. They were, of course, they were a long way off, um, the main players. But still, for them to be able to compete in a field of this calibre, anyone that finished in the top 10 on Sunday has done a really, really good job. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see where it goes. But triathlon in Germany, the strength of triathletes in Germany is, is looking very, very good. Okay, so I'm going to make a big claim, but it's honestly something I truly believe. Win Republic make the best tri suits in triathlon, and there is not a close second. Their suits are known for being the best looking suits on race courses, and that's probably the main reason why they've become the most worn tri suit at pretty much every long course triathlon race I go to. But the thing I like to focus on isn't how good they look, it's how bloody comfortable they are. I've personally worn so many tri suits that just feel tight and uncomfy and I never feel great in. I always like almost feel borderline self-conscious in them because they just don't feel like they fit me right. Win Republic suits were the first suit that I put on and I didn't feel that. And to be honest, that's the main reason why I wear them. It's not that they look amazing, which they do. And it's it's not even that they're like fast and aerodynamic, which is something Luke, the founder, really focuses on and, and he's passionate about. And, and they are that. They're fast aerodynamic race suits, which you need if you're going to be spending good money on a triathlon suit. And every good triathlon suit costs a good amount of money. But to me, that's sort of a non-negotiable and an obvious. Like, yeah, of course, they're, they're a brand who spend a lot of time and, and money and in, invest on like the research side of things. So I know that they're going to be fast and aerodynamic. I know that Beth's going to make sure they look awesome, which they do. And they're constantly like making new suits that, that you know, doing new drops and like I'm always looking at me like, oh, now I just need to get that new suit because that looks better than my old one. But the thing that doesn't get talked about enough is how comfy they are. They are they are so much comfy, comfier than the probably 15 other suits I've tried in my time. And I think particularly when you wear like long-sleeved modern triathlon suits, I've had so many uncomfortable versions. But, but wins were the first ones that I put on, I think like four years ago, maybe it was like three and a half years ago. And so now for the last three to four years, it's the only suit I've worn. I've got like four suits now that I have on rotation. I'm constantly wanting to buy new ones. I just love them and I can't say enough good things about them. So seriously, um, you've got to jump over on Win, onto Win Republic's website and check them out for yourself. Look at them. They've got so many great options there. They also have heaps of awesome cycling and running kit for you to look through. I, I wear the cycling kit every single day that I train and you know it's the same thing. They're comfy. They fit perfectly. They look amazing. If you do jump over to Win Republic's website to check it out for yourself, if you're in the market for a new triathlon suit or some cycling kit, make sure you use the discount code TTH15 for 15% off your order. Um, you get 15% off your whole order and it supports the show. So, yeah, get a new tri suit, get some new cycling kit. It's amazing stuff. You'll wear it and you'll 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 speak about it exactly the same way I do. And, um, yeah, and grab that 15% off using the discount code TTH15. And then the men's race, we, we, we already sort of touched on it with Magnus winning, but... Let's go into it in a little bit more detail. So 
Magnus won and Patrick Lang came second, Ben Canute came third. That was the podium. But that's not really the story of the race. The the story of the race was there was a massive front swim group of which Magnus Ditliev made. It's the strongest front pack swim he's ever made in a long long distance race. And look what happened from there. He was there with um with, with Sam Laidlow. They they had a group of about ten, a little under ten of them, um, coming out of the swim together. And then Magnus and Sam rode a little differently to usual. Usually Magnus and Sam ride ride quite um I would say punchy, like they they are very surgy. They'll put in big surges to to break open the group, and then and then they'll come back to a like an easier tempo. But Magnus and Sam really just they just rode everyone off their wheels by holding a sustained power that that no one else could could go with. And everyone tried, you know, Patrick Lang tried, Ben Canute tried, Daniel Backergaard tried. These are these are great cyclists, and Magnus and Sam just rode them off their wheel, and then their gap just kept extending and extending and extending all day, and. You know the the gap that Magnus and Sam had off the the rest of those boys on the bike was was maybe as impressive as anything Daniela did on the day. You know Daniela's over overall performance and then maybe the bike that that Magnus and Sam put on was were, were probably the two things for me that that were like wow this is this is sort of the next level of triathlon. Um, yeah, three fifty seven forty five bike for Magnus and. And three fifty-eight for for Sam, and they were they were fifteen minutes ahead of everyone else into T two, and and it was a run battle, which I think we all assumed Magnus was going to win, and and he did, and and Sam Laidlow had the issues that Sam Laidlow has been having lately: stomach issues, cramping, that that kind of thing. He he, he really can't get on top of that, and that's something I would like to talk about. Um, and Patrick Lang ran through ran through the field uh, to finish second, two thirty twenty-seven, the fastest run time we've ever seen, so close to that sub two thirty mark in his. Uh, prototype runners, another talking point, and Ben Canute came third. Joe Skipper was another one in fifth who ran through the field, and Daniel Backgard fourth. How, how did you see the the men's race, Belinda? Uh, I loved it, absolutely loved it. And again, Magnus Ditlev, twenty five years of age, but races with the maturity of someone who's been doing it for twenty thirty years. So let's be honest. I think that is everyone talks about Magnus being an incredible bike rider, but I think we need to go further than that now. He is strong over all three. He does not have a weakness. But what, for me personally, Magnus's absolute greatest strength is his his mental tenacity. He races with the experience of someone that's been doing it for over 20 years, yet he's 25 years of age. It's insane. And and his ability to stay calm under pressure, when every other athlete starts, you can see that, you know, they, they start to, you know, get that pent up energy and, and, and can't seem to stay focused and calm, cool and collected. Magnus Ditlev, it just, he's just a cool character. And if you actually look at his swim, if you go back and look at the live footage, he pushed so hard and was sort of right on the back of that, of that lead group. Like you said, we did not expect that lead group to be that big. We expected to have the lead group of say, um, Sam Laidlow, Robert and uh, and Ben, and then we expected another smaller group and then another smaller group. We didn't expect the gaps to be big, but we did expect there to be gaps. And to see Magnus just hanging on to the back of that group of, I think there was around eight or 10 of them. But if you have a look, when they made that last turn down the far end of the canal, Magnus wasn't content with just staying on the back of that group. He started to bloody make his way up through the middle of that group. And you could see him doing it. I'm like, what the hell? This guy is going to make sure that he doesn't just get out at the back of, the, of this group. He wants to be in the thick of it. And he started making his way up through the middle of it. 
And he got out so that when he got on the bike, he was in a great position to, to just go, like you said, to get out of there. But I think he also has such belief in himself now as a triathlete, not just as a bike rider, that he didn't need to do anything stupid, Jack. He didn't take off. He just got on the bike, found his legs, warmed up into it. He took Sam and Ladlow with him. And, you know, for the first half of the bike, Sam didn't do anything. Sam was just sitting on the back of, of Magnus. And Magnus just slowly but surely worked into it. And slowly but surely, they got rid of everyone. And then it was just the Sam Ladlow and Magnus show. And it got to a point on the bike where Sam, uh, where Magnus was like, you know what? I've been on the front long enough, buddy. You can come through. We need to work together. And if we work together, we're going to make sure that we've got an unassailable lead off this bike and there's going to be nobody that's going to be able to touch us. And that's exactly what Magnus did. But he did it so calmly. You know, there was never anything dramatic. It was just, it, it just looked effortless. And the big Dane, you know, he gets on that run and he looks like he's running so slowly because he's got that long opening stri um, stride. And you think, shit, he's going to get caught here at this pace. And when you go from footage of Magnus running to footage of, say, Patrick Langer running, they're so, you know, they're chalk and cheese on the run course. You think, well, shit, Patrick's really running so fast and Magnus. But then you look at his run split and he is running fast. He just doesn't look at it. It's just, it's, I love watching it because I, I must have said in my head and to yarn several times, um, oh my God, Magnus, what what is he running per K? Because he doesn't look like he's running that quickly, but he absolutely is. So yeah, incredible race. And I have to say the one athlete or actually two athletes that we didn't really talk about a lot because, well, one, Daniel Backegaard from Denmark, who we obviously were talking about him at the beginning. He was stuck in no man's land for a little while between that chase group with Ben Canute um, and then obviously the leaders with Magnus Ditlev and Sam Laidlow. And then all of a sudden he'd lost 15 minutes and we're, Jan and I are looking at each other going, what the hell happened? And we thought it's got to be a mechanical, but we weren't given any updates. And it took a little while before we got an update through from one of our spotters that he'd suffered a mechanical and basically he'd lost, lost all ability to shift. So he had no gears. He had to stop on the side of the road. They had to remove his rear derailleur, put him in a fixed gear, and that is how he continued to ride the remainder of the course. So could you imagine going up a fixed gear up Solaraburg, um, or a greeting? It was, I, I don't understand how he even got through the bloody race, let alone that run split that he did to run himself up into fourth. And it's a race we don't talk about because at the end of the day, he didn't finish on the podium. But to me personally, one of the most impressive performances from any athlete on the field in that men's race. We just don't talk about it because no one really knew what had happened. But now, you know, we go back, I spoke to Daniel and of course he's pissed off and he's upset about it. But I said, Daniel, you got to take the positive positives from this. Imagine if he hadn't have suffered that, that mechanical. I mean, I don't know where he would have finished. I, I actually think he could have he could have stayed ahead of Patrick Langey. So unbelievable performance from Daniel. And the same can be said about Joe Skipper. The problem with this race here, Jack, if you don't swim in that front pack, it is very, very difficult to bike and run your way up to the front. And I think that's exactly what happened to Joe. He he was never going to be able to swim in that in that front group. And he was he was playing catch up all day. But hats off to him for never giving up and for running his way through the field and, and finishing in fifth. And the top five here at this race could win any other race around the world. With Daniel Backergaard, I completely agree with that. He ended up finishing fourth, which honestly, I I thought leading into the race, I, I didn't I didn't quite have him that high. I thought maybe fifth or sixth was the, the highest he could finish. 
I was a little bit suspect on 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 whether he could have a podium finish. You're you're right. I don't think he would have beaten Patrick Lang. He ended up ten minutes behind him. That probably would have been a step too far, but he definitely would have finished ahead of Ben Canute without those issues. Ben mm-hmm. was two minutes up the road. There's there's no doubt the mechanical cost Daniel Backgard a, a podium. Um, with Joe Skipper, I made the call watching it live. As soon as the, the swim split came, like the lead group came out of the swim, I straight away said, Joe can't win this race. And not only can he not win this race, I don't think he can podium this race. You just can't come out of the water that far back to these guys, riding the way they do, having to do all the work by yourself and, and expect to win the races, let alone podium them anymore. It's just too far back, you know, five, six minutes out of out of the water. It's, it's too much. The, those days are gone. You know, Sam Long, yeah. Arnold Sanders, Joe Skipper. It, it's it's a good thing that the sport's like that and that the level's risen. But it, it is sort of disappointing because I miss that kind of racing where you can come that far out of the water and, and win or, or, or contend. But it's done. Those days are completely done in, in the men's field, particularly at these big races like Roth and the Ironman World Championships and the PTO races. And speaking of the PTO races, Everything you were saying about Magnus Ditliv, them about him remaining calm and not doing anything crazy, which we know he's been prone to do in the past. Like the way Magnus has ridden in the past has been quite fun to watch. Like he'll just go to the front, he'll ride 520 watts for three minutes and then he'll back off and then he'll do it again seven Ks later. Or he'll ride 450 watts for like 15 minutes to catch a front group and then he's completely cooked for the rest of the race and, and can't, can't do anything else. But I talked to him after the um, PTO European Open and he said to me, I, I asked him, I'm like, Magnus, you, you put 90 seconds into that, that front group. Like you, you, wrote, you came out of the water 30, uh, a minute 30 down on the front group. You rode up to them within 35K and then you sort of just sat back and you never tried to make a move off the front, front of that group. Why? And he goes, well, because I was confident I could win the race on the run with that group. And this group had Max Newman, Christian Blumenfeld, Alistair Brownlee, Jan Fredino in it. Like this is the best, the group of best runners in the world, <laughs> apart from Gustav Eden. But he he backed himself. And so I pictured him sitting there in that front group at the PTO European Open, which was a stronger front group than than, than him and Sam Laidlaw Roth. And he was going, well, I don't need to ride away from these guys. I just need to get to them. Once I'm there, I can outrun them. He was that confident. And so when I was watching that race and I just saw him confidently riding a power that he was capable of, and Sam Laidlow was capable of holding. No one else was capable of getting within 10 minutes of. I was thinking to myself exactly what he'd said to me. He's not going to try and drop Sam. He's just going to ride a power that he knows he can ride, that's fast, that's comfortable. Comfortable in, in quotation marks. Because he knows <laughs> Laidlow. He's yeah. not Sam Laidlow thinking, oh, I need to attack here. I'm scared of him. He 100% would have said, this is great. I'll just run next to Sam and I'll just drop him, you know. That's how confident I am, and he wouldn't have he wouldn't have thought it wouldn't have crossed his mind for a second that he needed to drop Sam La- Sam Laidlaw on that bike. No, I, I totally agree, and that's probably the greatest difference. The Magnus now, I mean, obviously, I, I, I get to see Magnus quite a few times in the year, and I, I'm quite good friends with his best mate Casper Pedersen, and we talk all the time. And this this race, I, I just he came into the race. I got to chat with him uh, pre race, and he just has this. This air of inner con- and it's not arrogance. Let's let's not get let's not get the two uh, mixed up. It's this inner confidence where he knows he has done the work needed. It's the little tiny extras that Magnus is willing to do that others may not. That he he doesn't let anything go. Um, for example, 
uh, he he tweaks minor tweaks that others might think would not make a difference. He knows it makes a difference, so he'll do it. From aerodynamics on the bike um, to what he does when he gets home with with stretching, with managing injury, with recovery, with nutrition, all these extra little pieces that sometimes when you get home from a long session, you're too tired to even worry about it or think about it. You think, ah, no, I don't really need to do that. He does it day in, day out, week in, week out. And he just doesn't leave any stone unturned. And when he came, he he just, he had this confidence about him uh, where you know that he just, he was ready. He was ready to put down a really good time. He'd obviously done his research. He knows this course. Even in saying that, coming into this race as defending champion is no mean feat. The pressure that they put on you is quite severe. And some people don't handle it. And he did talk about that. And he said, you know, I felt like I owed it to everyone here coming back as defending champion to really put on something great for the, everyone to say thank you. And that's what he did. And he's just such a great guy. And even with the, the speech that he had to give on the Monday at the awards, the difference between his speech he gave last year to the speech he gave this year, I remember standing there with some of my team going, shit, this guy's been been giving um doing lessons in, in public speaking because it was it was a million times better than what he gave last year. And last year wasn't bad. Last year was just a guy that wasn't, you know, wasn't familiar with giving winning speeches or, or you know, winning winning um addressing big audiences. But this the Magnus we saw on Sunday, on Monday at the awards, was a guy that was okay, this guy's getting some more experience. He now he really he's he's gonna be the next big thing. He's going to be the greatest long-distance athlete for, for years to come. And, and I, I don't think it's a big deal me saying that. I think you probably agree that I think for the next at least four to five years, Magnus Dipleff will be the man to beat in long-distance triathlon. It's something we got to remember that Magnus is 25. Sam Laidlow's 24. Like Daniela Reef, she's 36, like you said, and, and she had one of the greatest performances we've ever seen. These guys are over 10 years younger than her, and they're... <laughs> Patrick Lang's 36, Ben Canute's 30, Daniel Backengard's a bit bit younger, 27 as well. Joe Skipper's 35, I want to say now. Magnus Ditliev is 25 years old. So like, yeah, it's it when you when you think about it, of course his public speaking's got a little bit bit better. Of course his confidence getting is getting a little bit better. He was 24 last year. You know, he's just a, like he's a kid growing up. He's a baby. He's a baby. I know. And you you've, you've nailed it, Jack. He really he really is young. And the only concern, and I sp- I've spoken about this many times with all of these young guns coming up, I and mean, we could we could bring others I- into this equation, um, the likes of, say, Clement Mignon, who won in Nice on the weekend, who's, I think, still only 23, um, is just their longevity in the sport. Look at someone like Jan Fredino, who's had such an incredibly long and illustrious career. I think he's, what, 41 years of age now. And... I just, I speak to Jan about it and I'm like, I'm just concerned. There's no study, there's no research really done on athletes this young and longevity in the sport of triathlon. But I will say, I spoke to Magnus about that. And the only thing that makes me think that it could be a little different for Magnus is because he has such a clever team around him. His coach, Jens Pennison-Back, is not going to let him do a ridiculous amount of full distance races per year. They're going to be very, very... Um, strategic when it comes to choosing races throughout the year. And I don't think we'll see Magnus Ditlef racing, you know, weekend in and out. I think they'll be very, very fussy with what they choose. And they'll make sure that he's 
that his that his health and um, that his health comes first always. But it does still concern me because you know, back when I was racing, I did used to do four or five long distance races per year. But I was a lot lot older. I was in my mid thirties, and it's it's a whole different ball game when you're in in your, your early to mid twenties. What are you going to be like when you get into your mid thirties? Ten years of doing this sort of this long distance triathlon, which we know is so incredibly hard on the body, but I do have confidence in Magnus's team, and I think I think that they will be very very smart when it comes to choosing what races and how many they do per year. Yeah, it does seem to be just what's happening in male long course triathlon at the moment, though. Like Christian Blumenfeld, yeah. he's the oldest of the bunch, and he's only twenty nine, and Gustav Eden's 27, Magnus is 25, Sam Laidlow's 24, Max Newman's 28. Um, you know, Clement, like you said, is 24. Leon Chevalier is 26. Like, the majority of the, the top 10 males in long course triathlon right now are 24 to 29, which 10 years ago, like, you wouldn't have done a long course race at that point. You might have only just done your first middle course race, uh, middle distance race, you certainly, like I know myself growing up, like trying to make it as a pro, I had this idea in my head. You don't go and race long distance until like, you know, um, full distance, Ironman distance, Challenge Roth distance. You don't really go and do that until you're at least 30 and you start to get good at it at 32, 33, 34. These guys are all 10 years younger than that. And everyone who's a contender to win the world championships this year is, is going to be between 24 and, and 30. So it is interesting. It's like, is our old school belief of, well, that's a bit young and, and how will they go with longevity? What impact will it have? Is that just us as old heads in the sport who goes who, who are thinking, well, that's how it's always been? Or is the reality that, hey, this is just how it is now and and it's how it's always going to be? That's, that's going to be something that's really interesting to follow over the next five to 10 years. No, I totally agree with you. And as I said, we just we just don't have enough research to, to, to know whether there's going to be any sort of ill health effects on doing it but thing now with triathlon which we didn't have back in my day is just this this support network around these triathletes you know back in the day I, I had my coach and I and I had my husband um to take care of me but now you've got these athletes that have got a whole host around them that the most important thing and Laura Philippe talks about it a lot with her team um and you know it, it's it's physios it's doctors um, it's masseuses, it's coaches, it's psychologists, and they have this incredible tight-knit team that's specifically there to make sure that the athlete is taken care of and is always at 100%. And I think that's going to be the difference. And I think that while I say, oh, I get, you know, the mother hen comes out at me and I say, oh, I'm really worried about these youngsters doing this sort of racing so young, but then I need to realize that they've got this incredible team around them as well that's that's always going to look out for their best interest. So, yeah, yeah moving forward, Jack, maybe this is, this is the future of the sport. Maybe the long distance isn't going to be purely for the mid-30s, early 40s like it was in my day where you, you sort of went through the motions. You started in short course, moved to middle distance and then ended up in long distance. Uh, now, and you're right, I think Christian and, and Gustav were the ones that said, well, to hell with that. We're going to do whatever the bloody hell we want. If we want to do Olympic distance and then go up and do a, a long distance, then we're going to do it. And I think, you know, they've they've changed the game a little bit now. And it'll be interesting, very interesting once uh, the next Olympics are done and dusted because I know 
that once Paris is done, because I've already been speaking to a lot of the managers, and we're going to get a whole new crop of young um, world triathlon athletes come through and start doing the PTO races and then dipping their feet into middle distance and full distance. So we're going to see another change in our sport. We're going to have a whole heap of uh, new guys coming to, and women coming through who uh, are going to do the same thing. They're all going to be in their mid, mid-20s, mid to late-20s, and they're all going to start um, doing long-distance racing. So we're going to have a whole, whole, a whole other level. And that's what makes the sport so exciting because it's, it's ever-changing, and I don't think those days are gone of being um, only doing long-distance when you've got experience over the other distances. People are going to do it whenever they feel that, that they're ready to do it. Um, but that's the exciting thing about sport, isn't it? Patrick Lang came second to Magnus Ditliv in the end. Belinda running 2.30.27, which is the fastest time we've ever seen, just just beating his own time. Um, amazing race. Patrick continues to, uh, to impress me. I, like, I sort of wrote Patrick off a little bit in 2018-19. I thought, you know, I think we're going to see two good years from Patrick, three good years. I don't see him as keeping up with the the next generation that are coming through, but last year at Kona and then then here at Roth, even even earlier in the year, he's really surprised me. And I have him, I have him as a, a top three, four, maybe five favorite to win the Ironman World Championships this year. I knew he was going to have a great race at Roth. I just, I I, I thought without question he was going to come um, second or third. I, I thought Magnus was the clear favorite. In my head, it was always only if Patrick, like the only thing that was going to stop Magnus winning this race was could Patrick Lang run up to him. He did all he could. He finished six minutes back, but an amazing race from Patrick. The, the question I want to focus on with you, rather than how good Patrick's performance was, it, it was amazing. His shoes. We sort of put this on the agenda during the week. Challenge Roth and and German Triathlon hadn't adopted the, the, the rules around um, prototype shoes. How do you feel about that as someone involved in the behind the scenes of the race? Do you wish that that you, the rules for that sort of were following what World Athletics were doing and, and he wasn't allowed to wear those shoes? Or do you think it's sort of fair play? You know, you've brought up probably the, the most talked about question of the entire week that I've been here in Ross. Obviously working um, as pro liaison, we have different events and with all of the challenge family events, we follow the rules of wherever the, the race is in the country, it's their federation's rules. Most federations around the world will, will take on world triathlon rules. So that's normally how it works. Here in Germany, they take on the Deutsche Triathlon Union, so the DTU, um, federation rules. Now, Sometimes the rules within the federation have either not quite caught up with the world triathlon rules. So obviously rules are, are ever evolving and changing. So while the world triathlon rules had been updated for the shoes, the German federation had not updated their rules yet. Um, so that is why all shoes were allowed. Whether it's, it stays like that moving forward, I don't know. I mean, we may get Roth next year where they follow world triathlon rules when it comes to the shoes and none of those shoes will be allowed. And that was the big controversial question, of course, with with the um, aero fairings and not being able to put water bottles down your front, Joe Skipper having to change the setup at the front of his bike because it was deemed unsafe. Um, because those rules, they were the rules of the German Triathlon Federation. My biggest gripe with triathlon in general is why the hell can't we have one 
set of bloody rules for the pro athletes. And I don't give a shit what race we are talking about. I don't care if it's Challenge Roth, Challenge Almir, Ironman um, in Kona, uh, Ironman Frankfurt, any race, any race around the world, regardless who owns it, who runs it, why can we not have one set of rules for triathlon? It would make it so much easier. And whatever those rules end up being, I, I don't really care, to be honest. I just want one set of rules. Because it's, it's exhausting trying to keep up and coming to races and athletes coming to me every second. You know, for example, here in Germany, you have to wear your race bib on the bike. However, if it's a wetsuit swim, as we saw it was on Sunday, you are not allowed to wear your race bib under your wetsuit. Now, originally that rule was put, brought into play back in my day when race bib numbers were made of paper. So if you wore them in the swim, they disintegrated. Well, race bib numbers haven't been made for paper for a million years. They're waxed. It doesn't matter if they get wet. Yet that rule has not changed. Well, why hasn't it changed? It's ridiculous. So, and, and then again, you look at, at a lot of Ironman races, there is not even a need to wear the bib on the bike anymore because you've got tattoos, you've got the, the sticker on the bike. So why in God's name do we even have to wear a bib number on the bike when you think about all the money that's spent going into the into the wind tunnel, doing all this testing, trying to find 1% gains here and there and everywhere, yet then you put this bloody big flapping number on your back. It just doesn't make sense to me. Um, I want to see our, our sport evolve. I want to see fastest times um, made. So if that means if we're going to all of this trouble to get aerodynamic gains, wearing the, the fancy shoes so people can be faster, I don't really see a problem with it. The problem I see, Jack, is I just want one rule book for every single triathlon race around the world. Yeah, I'm with you. Seems pretty pretty easy too. PTO, Challenge, and, and Ironman come together, create a set of rules, get a committee together. Like the PTO and Challenge could do it easily. They've got a great working relationship. Ironman might be the one that, you know, it's hard to get them to come to the party. But even if we could just get Challenge and PTO together to, to have a standardized set yep. of rules... I think Ironman would take it up eventually as well because they'd see it works. The pros would want it. They'd bring it in. I think I think it, it is something to challenge, so like yourself, really, um, and, and the PTO should should get together and say, hey, let's standardize this. Same rules for every yeah. race. This makes everyone's life easier. It actually makes, as a fan, it makes things easier as well because you, you know the rules. I think with triathlon, I think a lot of people don't know the rules, like don't know. I think it's sort of so complex and complicated that, we don't even talk about it because no one knows. No one knows what's going on. <laughs> so yeah, if we could just, if Challenge and the PTO could come together, standardize rules, release them to the public, release them to the pros, get a pro panel to help, get some experts, ex-pros in to help. No brainer, isn't it really? Um, the only other performances I wanted to touch on from the weekend that we haven't, we briefly touched, touched on Joe Skipper. He's um, such a crowd favorite. So many people want him to win these races. Uh, he, he's so close. Like, he's so close. Fifth at Kona last year, fifth at Roth now. I just wonder if Joe's capable of making that ne next step with, with the way he swims. He, he just makes it so hard on himself. You know, he had the, the third quickest bike of the day behind Magnus and, and, and Sam. He was, you know, over 10 minutes back, 12 minutes back from those guys. And he runs really well. He's always such a consistently strong runner off a, off a hard bike. But... I don't know. I question whether the best we're going to see from Joe is third to to sixth, and whether he has that capability to get on the top sp spot of a of a race like Roth or the World Championships or a PTO race. I, I question it. Um, and then the other performance that 
think we should touch on a little bit before we wrap up is is Sam Laidlow. And the question with Sam Laidlow I have for you, Belinda, is do you think he should continue to race the way he does, which is ballsy, brave, off the front? Um, I would rather lose than I would I would rather, you know, not finish or come fifteenth than than come an honorable fourth. He he puts himself in these positions where he's either going to win the race or get very close or he's going to have a massive blow up. At the moment, he does blow up a lot more than he has the magical race, but then look what he did at Kona, one of the one of the great races, finishing second there and a fourth place at a PTO race last year. You know, I'd just like to get your take on whether you like the way he races or whether you sit in the in the camp of I wish he would be a bit more conservative, race a little bit more within himself so that he could have consistently higher finishes, but maybe not have that crazy exceptional day. Look, let's start with Joe Skipper first. I totally agree with you. If you look at Magnus from even a year ago, Magnus Ditlef's weakness was his swim, definitely. And if you think about where he is now, he knew that if he wanted to be on a world stage and be the best the world's seen, something had to give with the swim. And he's gone back home and he's worked on his swim. And this is a guy that didn't come from a swimming background. Let's get that clear. And he has gone back and he has worked his ass off because he knew that to have any chance of being the greatest in the world, he needed to put himself in a position coming out of the water where he was already there, not having to play catch up. Uh, even with his super bike strength. And he's done it. He's now got no weakness. He gets out with the front pack and then he rides away from them. This is the same for Joe. If Joe wants any chance to be up there in these championship events with the best of the best, he needs to go back to the drawing board and he needs to get his ass back in the pool and he needs to improve that swim. Otherwise, he's playing catch up. And like you said, the sport has changed so much. You cannot afford to have a weakness. Back in my day, you could always afford to have a weakness. Everyone was either a great swim biker or a good bike runner. No one was really phenomenal over all three, but you can't do that anymore, Jack. You cannot afford, you don't need to be phenomenal over all three, but you cannot have a weakness. And, and Magnus Ditlev, that is the big change that he's made in that one, in just one year. And that's what Joe Skip is going to have to do moving forward from here. With Sammy Laidlow, I absolutely adore him. I think He's such a character and our sport needs characters. Whether we, whether you love him or hate him, and I know he may not be everyone's cup of tea, but I love him. He wears his heart on his sleeve and he's not here to just make up numbers. So he's not here to play it safe. He's here to go out. He always goes out and has a ballsy race and sometimes he'll get, he'll get away with it like he did in Kona and it'll all pay off. Everything will go well. He'll get his nutrition, hydration right, and we know what he's capable of. So we know the talent's there. Yes, you're right. Uh, so far, he's got more crosses against his names than tick. But I tell you what, I'll, I'll give him so much credit for his race on the weekend because as soon as we started seeing him falter on the run and he was getting severe cramps in his calf, um, so it wasn't actually sick in his stomach. He didn't have anything wrong in that department, but he obviously something went wrong with somewhere along the line where he obviously was whether it was a nutritional thing, I didn't get to talk to him about it, but severe cramping in his calves. It would have been so easy for him to just walk off the course and call it a day. Everyone knew that he didn't come into this race being 100% fit and healthy. He had had issues post-Lanzarote. He was diagnosed with a liver infection. He'd been on antibiotics. Everyone that knows when you're on antibiotics, it, it ruins your system. Um, he didn't get the last 
key sessions in that he wanted to get in for this particular race. Now, whether that made a difference or not, I don't know, but he certainly wasn't coming into this race in 100% health. So it was always going to be a little bit of a question mark. And as I said, everyone would have understood if he had walked off the course, but he didn't. He he walked for quite a bit uh, on and off, but he rallied. And I think mentally, he should be so proud that he was able to rally, get himself back on course and run the second half of the marathon the way he did to finish it off in eighth place. And yeah, we can look at the times that he was, you know, he did 7.48, a long way behind Magnus Ditlev. But if you take Magnus Ditlev's time out of it and 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 maybe, and also Patrick's time, then, you know, the, the times were, were not too severe if you look back from, say, uh, Daniel Backegaard at 7.39 to Sam Laidlow at 7.48, particularly because we know that he struggled on that marathon. So... Hats off to hats off to Sam for actually sticking it out and rallying and and getting himself back together to put himself back in the race. And uh, anyone that finishes top ten in Roth here in the men's field uh, should be proud. So, you know, Sam Laidlow moving forward, I think he'll go home from this race and they'll they'll work it out. And eventually, it just may take a few more years. We will see Sam Laidlow doing really really well over this distance because I think he's got what it takes. So following on from the first half of the year, and I think now that Roth's done, it's the right time to ask this question. Who do you have as your favourite to win the Ironman World Championships, starting with the women out of Daniela, Chelsea, Arne, Laura, and I guess we'd probably throw Kat Matthews in there. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely, I would throw Kat Matthews in there because while, while whilst Kat Matthews may not be as absolutely talented, as in, you know, over swim, bike, run. What she may lack there on the likes of Danny Reef and Chelsea Sodaro, she more than makes up for with that mental toughness. I don't think I've met another female athlete with the mental tenacity that Kat Matthews has. And that counts for everything the second half of the marathon in, in a full distance race. Um, so got Charles Barkley there as well. She's definitely on. Oh, that. absolutely, of course she is, Lucy. Yeah, Lucy. And look, it would have it would have been awesome to have Lucy in this race. And you know, there, I don't know if you realise, but there was a possibility that she was going to be able to come to Roth and race, and that was definitely something that was trying to be organised. But at the end of the day, with Brexit and with the way it works here, with the number of days you're allowed in. Europe, it was just, it was going to be impossible. So it's unfortunate because I think if we had have thrown Lucy Charles Barkley into the mix, I mean, I really don't know. I mean, obviously, Daniela Riff was, it wouldn't have mattered what, Lucy could have had the race of her life and no one was beating Danny on Sunday. But it still would have been great to have her in the race to see, because we know she would have been out front on her own for the first bit of the bike. And it would have been great to see what would have been if she would have been able to stay with Danny, if she could have stayed with her, even for, I don't know, 10, 20 kilometres of that bike ride. You just don't know. I mean, it's all hearsay because she wasn't wasn't here. But, yeah, you know, Lucy's going to be absolutely hungry for for Kona at the end of the year. Oh, I really don't know. I think Danny will definitely be up there. I mean, how can she not? She'll definitely be someone that we will be talking about. Lucy Charles Barclay, Chelsea Sodaro coming in as the defending champion. Kat Matthews. Oh, Annie Haug, I mean, these are all women that on their day could win Kona. Let's be honest. It's going to take it's going to take a superb performance. It's going to take the same sort of performance that we saw from Chelsea Sodari last year in Kona, where you're both swim, bike and run are flawless. 
and it will take a flawless performance to win, as it should, Jack. I mean, this is the World Championships, and to win it, you don't fluke it. You don't ever fluke. You have to be the best on the day. But any one of those women I just mentioned, if they have the race of their life, is is capable of winning Kona. In the men's race, I tell you what, I think it's a little different this year. Just because the bike course in Kona is not technical at all. Yes, if we get a super windy, crazy day, which we've, we've, we have not had one for so long now. Uh, definitely, back in my day when we had some really, really horrific days on the bike, where bike skills played an enormous part in the race, then it can be different. But, you know, the Konas of late, it, it hasn't been. And really, it's it's a straight shoot. You, you just go straight out. You, you do a U-bob at, at high V and you come back. So technically speaking, it's not a difficult race. We know Nice, that course, it's brutal. It's, it's hilly, but it's the descents that I think are going to play such an enormous part in the men's race this year for the world champs. If you are not a phenomenal descender, then you are going to be losing free speed. And I think it's going to be very, very difficult to make up that time. And Clement Mignon showed it on the weekend. Uh, the same with the likes of Cam Worth, who we know is a spectacular bike rider, not just because he's so damn strong, but because he's technically superior to so many triathletes as well. And I think that's going to play an enormous part in the men's race this year. And I think to win that race... For the men, not only do you have to be a great swim bike runner, but you need to be a technically superior rider on that bike course. And we know Clement Mignon is back in his backyard. He knows those climbs like the back of his hand. He knows those descents like the back of his hand. And I think any rider that has that does not have the the ability to climb well and descend really well, they are going to struggle on that course this year. So Belinda, I'm going to force you to pick one of the girls. If you are, if you're gonna, if you're gonna put all your that money, to me. Uh, Who's the favourite? Bloody hell! I mean, it's hard because you you get a you get a little sidetrack because you look at what Daniela produced on Sunday and you think, well, how could you not pick Daniela? She's freaking light years ahead of the rest of the women. Uh, and apart from say Cat Matthews and Lucy Charles Barclay, everyone else was here. But then again, we didn't see the best of Chelsea Sadaro. You know, unfortunately, she had things go wrong. So. It's not a true indication of how she's going to go. Oh, you're really putting me on the spot. Oh, God. Um, far out. I, I just, I would like to see Lucy Charles Barclay win it, only because I don't think we've, we've been able to see the best of her yet, uh, just with things that have gone wrong and, and the way that the world works with freaking visas and stupid, I mean, crazy stuff like that. I think I think she's going to go into Kona just that little bit hungrier than the rest of the women lining up. And I think as long as if she can get into T2 with a lead uh, over the rest of the women, you know, I don't think her run is as strong as obviously the likes of, of Annie Howard and Chelsea Sodaro, but it's not bad either. It's still, I think she's, She's a very strong runner, so if she can she can get into the lead into T two into Kana, then I think she's got a bloody good chance of winning it. I like it. I like it. I think it's hard to to say that anyone but Daniela will be looked at as the favourite going in. Exactly. Roth. Um, but, sure. but you know, uh, you know, Lucy. I I hate to say this. I think Lucy's going to add another second to her list this year. I think she gets beaten by by one of Chelsea uh, or Daniela, probably <laughs> Daniela. But I don't. I, I struggle to see a way in which Lucy wins the race, but 
I struggle to see a way in which she's not on the podium as well. Like I think I agree. I think if Daniela has a shocker yep. that Arn and Chelsea maybe both will run through Lucy late in the marathon. But if Daniela has a great day, Daniela will win it. I think Daniela has to be the favourite though. The men's race is interesting. Now that we've had the European Open, we've had some big Ironmans both in Europe and America and the Australian summer. And now we've had Challenge Roth, which is sort of like the bookmark for the, the middle of the year. All right, everyone go back to camps. Let's see you again at the, the World Championships events later on in the year. To me, Sam though came into the year as the favorite with the absence of Christian and, and Gustav. He had to with Magnus and Jan and Alistair Brownlee um, being sort of the guys in the periphery who could who could beat Sam Laidlow. And then after the PTO European Open, it was like, oh, hang on. Do we just have a new favorite here to win in, in Max Newman? And has he pushed pushed back Sam Laidlow and Magnus Ditlev? And we saw that Jan, Jan's old. Jan's old. He's he's the greatest long-distance triathlete that, that the male field has seen, but he's old. He's old. And we need to... We need to realize that, that, you know, 42 against these 24, 25, 28-year-olds, it's it's going to be hard for Yard. Alistair Brownlee, I think we've seen that Alistair Brownlee, the way he races, it probably just isn't going to work for him over over the full distance this year. And so I sort of gone, well, now I think Max Newman's the clear favorite and I actually think almost yeah. unbackable favorite. But now we've seen Magnus do, do what he did on the weekend at Roth and I think it's now a race between Magnus and Max. And I would have the one person, if I could pick anyone, women, you, you mentioned how Lucy Charles Barclay could have been at the race. If I could have picked one person to be in that race, men or women, it would have been Max Newman. Because I have this theory, and I sort of gave it to Mark Matthews, a good friend of mine, um, Kat Matthews' husband, and, and he's been saying it. I think Max is undroppable. I think he's an undroppable triathlete. So if you want to beat Max, you're going to have to outrun him because you can't drop him in the swim, no matter who you are, and you can't drop him on the bike, no matter who you are. Now, Max might never see the front of the race. He might never come to the front of a swim, and he might never come to the front of a bike ride, but he'll sit on your feet and he'll sit on your wheel and you won't be able to get rid of him no matter what you want to do. Now, he won't get off, he won't get off the front either, so I think at, at the World Championships, it's going to be Max with Magnus, probably with Sam Laidlow, and then it's just going to be a run race. And, you know, I, I still think Max Newman is the favorite, but God, Magnus has to be considered close after Roth. Yeah, and look, I, I agree. Again, I think it's a little more, I mean, I definitely agree. To me, Max Newman, Magnus Ditlip are the standout long-distance athletes right now on the planet. There is no doubt. The only thing I think that makes it a little different this year is one, we're not having the world championships for the men in Kona. It's a completely new location. The French athletes that we we don't really talk about too much, um, the likes of Leon Chevalier, you've got to you've got to add in. You almost get that little extra lift when you're a French Frenchman racing in France. I don't unless you've been there and you've seen it. The the lift you get, it's like the Germans racing here in Roth. Uh, it's like Australians racing at home. You always get that little bit extra lift because you have the support behind you. And the fact that this course, as I said, I think this bike course in Nice, um, it's just, it's quite, it's so technical and and it suits a specific athlete. So even though I definitely think on paper, Magnus Ditlef and uh, Max Newman are the favourites without a doubt, I don't think we can discount some of these these French guys such as Sam Laidlow, uh, Leon Chevalier, and Clément Mignon, 
who normally I would never, I would never say, no, nah, no, nah, they're definitely not even worth, they're not even going to get on the podium. I mean, apart from Sam Layton, we know he's, he got on the podium last year, but in this race, but I think being, being the world championship race in France on a course that suits a lot of these French men, I, I, I'm not saying they're going to win it, but I think they'll definitely be in the mix and they will definitely play a part in the dynamic, race dynamic. And yeah, it's going to be interesting. But with Max Newman, the fact that he was invited to race here in Roth, he turned it down. He was going to race in Hamburg. He decided, nope, because I think he's putting all his eggs in one basket and he wants to win the world championships in Nice. And that's a scary prospect because whereas other, other athletes are willing to race here and there, I think Max... Is take it is back home. He's he's training his ass off. He's probably doing everything that's needed to make sure that by the time he gets on the start line in the, in needs, he is in the absolute shape, both physically and mentally, of his life. And that's what makes him the the scariest athlete on the start list. Belinda, just a couple of more questions about Roth and, and the weekend, and and then I'll let you go. I could talk triathlon with you all day. Speak, speaking of. <laughs> My first question is about the coverage of, of Roth. Now, I'm, and you are as well, highly critical of the coverage of triathlon, but Roth on the weekend was was awesome. It was the best coverage we've had this year. I want to go out on a limb and say the best coverage we've ever had in triathlon. It, it was an amazing event. Uh, the atmosphere was great. The But the broadcast was fantastic. You and, you and Jan particularly did a brilliant job in commentary. I think that's the best commentary we've ever had at a triathlon event. I loved it. Jan Fredino was amazing, like really amazing. He grew into it throughout the day. He was a bit boring and quiet early. Um, and I thought, oh, we're going to get, you know, media trained Jan. And then over the course of the the eight, nine hours in commentary, Jan started to loosen up and he found his flow. And by the end of it, you know, Jan at the finish line was one of the funniest things ever. He had gone from being a bit stiff and robotic and boring early in the day you know, in a way that people who know Yarn behind the scenes will tell you that's not at all what he's like, to at the end being fun and funny. And, you know, like it was one of the funniest moments was when he was talking to Magnus Ditliv, who had just won the race, um, you know, probably the best long course triathlon performance we've ever seen. Yarn's talking to him for about two minutes and Yarn goes, cuts him off and says, sorry, we're, we're like, we're leaving you now, Magnus. We're throwing a Sebastian Kinlay. And it was just, it was like the way he, the way he did it and delivered it was hilarious. And he, he did that a lot. Like he made, he made that finish line what it was, you know, bowing down to to Sebastian Kinlay, hugging Magnus Ditliv, doing fun interviews with all the, the men and women who crossed the line, sitting there really casually bringing out the personable side of them. It was an amazing coverage, Belinda. And uh, like you and Jan did such a fantastic job. The, the camera work was great. The, I don't have enough good things to say about it. Oh, you're a darling. Thank you. You made my day because it's it's always tough. And we're, you know, for as many people that love the coverage, you've got just as many that didn't love it. Uh, and what people don't realise, it's it's so easy to be an armchair critic, sit there and say, oh, why aren't they doing this? Why haven't they done that? This is this is wrong. This is right. Why don't they go further back and show us the athletes in 6th, 7th and 8th? You know why? Because it ain't that bloody easy. That's why. Um, and I don't think until... You're, you've actually done live commentary and you see the behind the scenes and you see just what's involved. You cannot understand just how difficult it is. And, you know, I've done coverage all over the world, work with different producers and it's, it's always different, always changing. And the thing with Ross and the thing that we were all worried about is because 
we got rid of so many motos this year and I wanted to have at least two live cameras on the men's race and the same with the women's that we could have one sitting on the front up the front with the lead men and then one floating back and forth but Felix said no we're not having that many I we, we will want we will not do it safety of the athletes the fairness of this race comes first you will make do with one and I, I understand that but you know it, this is the crazy thing you put more motos on course with live cameras uh, and then you get people complaining that the face race is not fair or safe. You take less, you take them off, and then you got people complaining. Well, you're only showing the front of the race. Where the hell are the other athletes? So you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. And then everyone's saying, "Oh, well, why don't you just have more drones?" It's just not that simple, all right. And then throw into that the, the absolute cost of doing live coverage. I don't think anyone understands the expense involved in putting on live coverage. It's ridiculous. I, I, I can't even tell you. Um, and so you try and do the best with what you've been given on the day. And when it came to trying to, to work out who was going to be my co-host, um, obviously one of my first choices was was Will McCloy. I really wanted him. I think Will does a fantastic job. Knows the sport of triathlon really well, but he's also a great commentator. That it's What he does, I mean, it, it, it's his job. Whereas it's not my job and it's not Jan Fredino's job. But Will wasn't able to make it. So then when we thought about it, um, I just said, what about Jan? And we thought there's no way in hell he's going to want to do it. And we're talking to Felix, his, his manager, and he said, I'll come back to you in 24 hours. And I'm like, shit, they're actually thinking about this. Maybe there's a chance. And so long story short, obviously we got him and it was great. And you're right, those first those first 30 minutes, I'm thinking, oh, shit, Jan, you know, I told you we're going to have fun with this today and you're, you're really uptight and talking very seriously. And anyway, we, we got a bit of a break and I, I looked over at Jan and I said, you know, Jan, just be yourself. You don't, you know, don't be something that you think everyone wants to see. Be yourself. They want to see you. And like you said, he warmed up into it. And once he found his straps, he was, he was brilliant. And he had fun with it. And Jan is funny. You know, he's such an intelligent guy who's got more experience in this sport than most, you know, nearly everyone, anyone I know. And I think once he found his groove, he, he was unreal. And it was, it was great fun. And it's a long day and I don't know if people realize we didn't have any commercials. I think the entire time we had one 30 minute commercial and that's a long time to be speaking and to be on top of the game. So we're probably the most exhausting coverage I've ever done. And I think for next year, we'll have to talk about having a few breaks because one thing a producer taught me a long time ago, and it's, it was when I worked for Clash Races in in uh, Daytona in Miami, and his name's Keith D'Alessandro, and he was the lead producer for uh, NASCAR Productions. He always says to me, Belinda, you don't need to talk constantly. Sometimes it's good to just shut up and let the race breathe. breathe. And I couldn't think of a better way to describe what you need to do. You don't always need to be talking. It's probably something I'm still learning. You know, when the camera's on you and you think, shit, I've got to keep talking, I've got to keep filling the space. But you actually don't. So, uh, you know, moving forward, this is a good thing for you, Jack, when, you, when you're doing the coverage in Milwaukee. Sometimes it's just great to take a breath. Don't don't talk and let the race do the talking. Um, so don't be, don't be afraid to take a breath, which is what I need to do right now. <laughs> but, uh, I think that's great advice because it's what I hate the most about the Ironman coverage. And... Look, this is, I, I'm not here to shit on Ironman, but their, their coverage sucks. And when you compare it to Roth, it, it's, it, it was night and day. And one of the things they do is they just, they just 
don't stop talking and you zone out because it becomes dribble. It becomes pointless, boring, the same thing said over and over again, trying to fill in that air. And I agree. I think what you guys did really well was just sit there, watch a race, talk about it like like you would if you were watching it with your friends. That's how That's how the coverage became to me. And I think it's what our coverage has to become because it's eight hours worth of coverage. You can't have eight hours worth of like perfect coverage like you would say watching a three-minute horse racing event where the coverage and the commentary is just on. Ours has to have that more sort of sit back, relax, watch this race with us. We're going to talk you through it. We're going to explain what's happening. We're going to have some fun. We're going to tell backstories. We're going to be a bit more relaxed. It has to have that or it just becomes unwatchable really. And you guys nailed that, particularly the last sort of five hours. And I want to say even like the last two hours became seriously, like I could not stop watching. And the race was fantastic, which helps. Daniela was doing what she was doing. Uh, Magnus was doing what he was doing. But it wasn't that. Like it, it was it was the way it was covered. It became so fun and easy. And you were, you were you were focusing on all the right things, talking about all the right things, celebrating all the right things, telling the backstory. It was, yeah, it was brilliant. I'm, I don't want to just, you know, repeat what I've already said, but it, you can't be complimented enough on it. And like, it takes me into my next question. I think Roth, I've always been a little bit like, and yeah, I don't know, you might not like hearing this, but I've always thought Roth's a bit overrated. I've looked at it and I thought, I don't really see it. I've never been, I've only watched it. Um, I, but I watched it on the weekend and I thought, oh, I get it. This is the this is the the single best triathlon event I've ever witnessed in my life. If everything if every single triathlon event was like this, God, we'd have a massive sport. It would be such a popular sport. Um which which, which takes me to two questions. Luke McKenzie said after the race, Hey, we need to make this the world championships. This is the best race we have. And I'm not a I'm not, I don't know if I agree with it, but I'm not against it. Like, I think I would love to see Roth, especially if it continues down this path, become something bigger than what it is. Not just be challenge Roth, but become like a more world championship thing with with, with sort of, I don't know if it's the, it becomes challenges world championships, but something like that. I, I, I would love something bigger on the line for it. And and then my, my second question is, how do you top that coverage next year? Because clearly you have to, you can't, have a year like that and then go backwards? Oh, look, to answer your first question, I, I totally agree. And until I or I've spent my life explaining to people how incredible Roth is and, of course, going up Solaraberg, and I cannot use enough adjectives. And I can't tell you how many people came up to me yesterday and said, you know, Belinda, you'd spoken to me before about it. No amount of adjectives or, or discussion would can can make up for actually experiencing it for yourself. So Ryan Miller, who works for Luke McKenzie, we were chatting yesterday. He raced it for the first time on Sunday. I've spoken to Ryan, I can't even tell you how many times, about all the special parts of this race and what makes it the race it is. And he said, even though you told me over and over and over again, Belinda, he said it's still, it was still bigger and better and more incredible than you could have ever have told me. And particularly going up Solara, very people... You can explain it, but until you experience it for yourself and then the finish line at night, um, yeah, no amount of no amount of discussion can do it justice. You have to come and experience it firsthand. 
It's just one of those races there where Felix Wallstopper, his sister Catherine, and mum Alice, they're the most passionate family in triathlon in the world, but none. Their team is exactly the same. And and the, the town of, of Roth and the surrounding areas embrace this race as it's as if it's their own. They own this race. They love this race. This It's all about the race this week. Whereas you go to other races around the world, you'll get some people that live here that love it, others that hate it, people that want to get the hell out while the race is on because they can't stand roads being closed and, you know, coffee shops being overtaken by athletes. Um, this race embraces it. They open up their doors. Everyone stays in homestay. Um, everyone um, that stays in homestay has, they can see the history of athletes that have stayed here in their homestay for the last 20 years. It's it's insane. And it's, I cannot even describe, you, you go into a coffee shop and they're like, oh, you're here for, for, the, for the race and, oh, it's amazing. And I've been watching, I've been volunteering for this long. We've got people from all over Germany that take their bloody annual holiday so they can either come and watch the race, race the race, or volunteer at the race. And they take their holidays in order to do so. I mean, where else in the world does that happen? It's, I honestly, I, I cannot describe it. It's ridiculous. And yeah, where do we go from here for next year? Oh, shit, I don't know, Jack. I don't know if we can top it, but I've said that before and Felix always does. One thing I know with the coverage, obviously, they book it back to bare basics here with as far as mojos go. They wanted to take them all off to see uh, what what would be safe. So I think for next year, they may add a couple of motos back if they feel they can do so and still put on a fair and safe race. But they needed to peel it back to the bare bones first um, before they can then start adding. Um, I think the use of drones this year and and was brilliant. I mean, we haven't had drone footage like that before. And I think that they may even um, go bigger and better with the drone footage next year and and maybe add a motorbike or two um, purely for the live coverage. So I think that will really improve, and particularly when it comes to looking at what's going on further behind the field. Because let's be honest, Jack, if you took out our winners from this year's race, so let's pretend Daniela and Magnus didn't race, Jesus, the race would have been insane. I mean, the race going on behind for the podium final podium positions, it kept changing. Um, and then, you know, to, we didn't know whether Daniel was going to catch Ben, Patrick catching Ben, Ben holding on to the um, podium. And the same with the women's race for Chelsea, ran herself up into second. But then she fell back and then, you know, overtaking Laura, Laura falling back and then Anne coming through. You know, I would, I would have loved to have seen a lot more of that. And I think if we have that second camera, we could have done it. So maybe that, there's something that we can do moving forward for next year's coverage. Um, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get Yarn back for next year's coverage. We're certainly going to bloody try. But let's see. Um, it'll be all, all depend on what Yarn's doing uh, next year. But, uh, yeah, I, I know that they will improve. And the thing with Felix Walsafer is he's just not, he's not willing to rest on his laurels. He'll, he won't get to the end of this race and go, good, that's good enough. We'll just keep it at that. He'll be... You know, the, the team takes a big break now. He lets his team take a whole month off so that they are, they come back. They're fully refreshed, both mentally, physically ready to go again. And they will have a debrief and they will talk about all the things that they still think went wrong because let's face it, Jack, things still did go wrong. And they will make sure that they don't go wrong next year and then all the areas that they think that they can still improve. And that's what makes this race so special. 
I think something that would be really cool for someone to trial, and I think Roth would be the perfect place to trial it because you guys are so innovative and it's led by Felix and yourself. Um, I think I'm the the idea is inspired by cricket, which you, I think cricket must be the hardest co- sport in the world to commentate. It's brutally boring. It's long. Yes. It, it's yep. similar to triathlon in that way. And uh, like triathlon to the non-fan is boring. It's long. It's boring. It, it feels like nothing happens. Everything happens slowly, slowly, slowly over time. It's eight hours of, of what can be, be like looked at as boring. Now, obviously, me and you don't fight. We find it the opposite of boring. But what cricket do is they get teams together. So they'll have a eight-hour day or a 10-hour day of, of cricket. And they might have eight people on the commentary or nine people on the commentary. And they'll have them three at a time and they'll rotate them in for 30 minutes, out for 30 minutes, in for 30 minutes, out for 30 minutes, or in for 60, out for 60. And it might be, um, for example, I think I think it's it's very hard to be at your best for eight hours and you do an amazing job of it. But I think you should take a little bit of the pressure off yourself and become part of a team where you do three hours, someone else does you know two hours, someone else does two hours, and, and you rotate it more regularly. So for the thir- first 30 minutes, for example... It might be the A-team. It might be yourself, Belinda Granger. It might be, I think, Sebastian Kinlay is the obvious one that you need to get next year with him retiring. He'll he'll do probably an even better job than Yarn, which is saying something. So you have yourself and Sebastian Kinlay and maybe like Vicky Holland, for example, for the first 35, 40 minutes. And then for the next 35, 40 minutes, you have another team, say, uh, whoever it is, three extra, three other people, and you try and just pick you know, whatever it is, six or nine of the absolute best people you can think of. And then you just rotate in and out like that all day so that you're coming in constantly fresh, full of energy. Um, it's a new voice and a new bit of excitement for the fans. So over 45 minutes, you, you start really high energy and you slowly, slowly, you know, lose that energy. You go and have 45 minutes off, you have a coffee and you come back in and you, you bang on. I, I think that's the next step for, for long course triathlon commentary rather than trying to make two or three people do it for eight hours. It's it's almost an impossible job. And you do it as well as anyone, but even you, who's full of energy, full of excitement, passionate, knowledgeable, even you, you have ups and downs throughout those patches where you're really high energy and then, you know, it fades off a little bit. And and you, you're as good as anyone in the world at that. So I think that's the next step is um, getting those sort of cricket or cycling cut commentary teams, bigger teams, put them in in groups of two and three, high energy, 45 minutes of time, something like that. I think Roth need to try that next year because we have so many great people. Like I I could already think of so, so many good little groups of three that could make it work. And then, you know, you could duck off during that 45 minutes and you could you could be the sideline commentator. Do you know what I mean? And they could throw to you while you go out and course for 45 minutes or whatever it is. I just think I think that's a really, that could be a really cool way to take us to the next next level next year. No, I, I absolutely agree. And just to put it in perspective, obviously, I literally got there, I think, at uh, 5.30 in the morning. We went on air at 6.15. I got one toilet break about an hour and a half into the coverage. And then from that point onwards, I did not move. I didn't get to, I didn't eat. And look, at the end of the day, that, that was my fault. I could have taken a break. I could have asked for a break. Uh and we will look at that next next year. What I think would, would work best is I would love to see, instead of having teams, one team made up of maybe five people and that we just keep rotating. So let's say it starts with 
myself, Jan, or I, I agree with you, Sebi, and I think Sebi is spectacular. If you if you talk to anyone that watched the coverage from Hamburg, the German TV, uh, they'll tell you Sebi is brilliant. Um, the only bummer, I think, is that I would love to get Sebi for like next year with me, but I think he's going to be stolen by German TV, unfortunately. But we, I think we could still get him because the way the German TV, the coverage, because it's on live TV here in Germany, it's only snippets. So I think they do like 30-minute blocks. So when he's not working for German TV, he could come across and work for us. And our studios are, studios are right next door to each other, so it's possible. But I would like to see it just a, a revolving door, like a rotation. So start with Jan, myself, someone down on ground. And then after, you know, X amount of time, I move out. We have someone else take my my place, but Jan stays in. I think it's always important to have someone there just to keep that that dynamic going and because they've been watching and because they can then that they keep the energy level up. And then, you know, I come back in and Jan leaves and someone else takes, you know, so just rotating instead of having segregated groups, because sometimes it can be difficult if you haven't been watching. Uh, we tried it in the PTO, you know, obviously where we had myself and Barry Shepley would do it. And then you'd have Vicky, Vicky Holland working with someone else. But the problem with that is if you step out of it, unless you're watching the race and keeping your head in the game there, when you step out, take a break, come back, it takes just that little bit of time to get yourself back in the game, back into the dynamic, into the race. So I would rather um, always have someone in there. Does that make sense what I'm saying? So while I rotate out, when I come back in, then Jan goes out, someone else comes back in. But instead of having separate teams, one big team where you're just continually rotating. Uh, and I do like the idea of getting people to go down on ground. Um, I think it works and I, I, I love going down on ground. I never get the opportunity. It's always now Belinda, you're staying in the studio. And I would like to because I think um, one of my strengths is, is talking to people because the thing with me with commentary, I'm not a stats person. That's why I get Torsten Ratter to, to do all my stats for me. Uh, I'm a people person and the way I do my research when I'm doing commentary is I spend weeks and weeks and weeks being an absolute in in Instagram stalker, stalking all the athletes on Instagram. I send them out questions uh, and they're not your normal questions that, you know, what are your best five races, you know. They're, they're questions where we find out more about the athlete themselves, what makes them tick, the more human side. And I think that's where my strengths lie in commentary. I bring out, I don't just show... Uh, Laura Philippe, the phenomenal athlete who who runs really well. It's what makes Laura Philippe tick, you know. What does she love to do outside of the sport? What does she love to do inside of the sport? Fun facts about Laura, she loves to eat cake. We all know, you know, faster with cake. This For this race, it was faster with gelato. And the fact that she had this awesome expo stand here where you could go and get the most beautiful fresh mango gelato. And it's just bringing different things apart from just swim, bike, run, into commentary because I think people want to know what makes Laura Philippe tick or what makes Daniela Roof tick or what makes Magnus Ditlift tick, not just the same old boring, you know, Magnus Ditlift is a great bike rider, he rides he rides this wattage, da da da. I mean, yes, we need that, but at the end of the day, it's not it's not bringing me any any closer to the to the athlete and. I love, for example, if we go back to the old with PTO with the, the Sams, you know, Sam Long, Sam Laidlow. You were either on team, team Long or Team Laidlow, but why were you, Jack? What made you 
closer to Sam Long or what made you like Sam Long more than you liked Sam Laidler? It's because we got to, to look inside the athlete to find out what made that athlete tick. And some people are going to be drawn to more towards Sam Long, other athletes are drawn more towards Sam Laidlow. And I think that's what is needed more than anything in, in commentary. Sorry, I went off I went off on a bloody tangent then. It's typical me. I'm, I'm still a little hungover from last night. We had the big after party. I didn't get home until <laughs> two o'clock this morning. I'd like to I'd like to blame my voice on the commentary, but unfortunately my voice is like it is because of party last night. So typical Belinda. <laughs> oh, I love it. I, I agree with everything you say. I think rotating teams, whatever it is, in my head, you go off to a green room, you keep watching the race. I thought like, you know, it's your exactly, job. Exactly, exactly. I, I just like the idea. I think six to nine of the best people, rotate them through all day. I love that. I think that's the next step. Um, always here to throw around ideas with you about who, if you want Belinda, but I think Sebastian Kinley and Alistair Brownlee would be two really good places to start. Um, and there's a couple of girls who I think could be awesome. I think I think we've got some, un, like some, some girls who would be great at it who might not want to do it, but I would love to hear if, you know, if Lucy Charles didn't race, I'd love to hear her, her do commentary. She, she she speaks really well about the sport. I think Kat Matthews is another one I'd love to hear on. Um, yeah, anyway, but there, there's so many great people and it's like, how much money do you have and, and how like how willing are people to, to do it? Um, yeah, anyway, we, we need to wrap up because me and you were like, yeah, we'll just do a quick read. I know. Minutes. It's we're all terrible. we did every time, and two hours later, and we're still talking absolute gut on and. Yeah. Oh my god! But you know why, Jack? You know why? And this is why we need more people like you in the sport because we live, breathe, we live and breathe it. I mean, people always say to me, "Oh, you know, don't you get bored? You've been in the sport for over thirty years now." You know what my answer is? I love the sport as much as now, if not more, uh, than I did when I first started because. Triathlon to me is, it, it's my life. It's its a lifestyle sport. It's not just about when I raced. I love the sport. I love the athletes in the sport. I love the direction the sport's going in. Just like you. I mean, you're a, you're a male version of me, let's be honest. <laughs> we, we, we're, we're, we're triathlon frothers. And I'm not, and the thing is, I'm not ashamed to admit it. I bloody love this sport. And I, I, I have no problem traveling around the world and talking about it all day long, living it all day long, because it's, an incredible sport i'm excited having the pto come on board has just lifted the sport and and i think that's one of the reasons that challenge family and the team i work for we want to work together with pto because i just think together we are stronger and i'm so excited to see where we can go with it but and the amount of incredible athletes that are being produced now it's just it's a really exciting time in the sport of triathlon yeah i couldn't agree more um it, it's just I, to me, how can you not love this sport? I love it. Like I spend literally 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And it's, it's all I think about. It's all, it's all I think about. It's all I talk about. It's, I send probably 500 messages a day to, to people talking about triathlon and, you know, like everyone around me gets sick of it, but I, I just love it. And I know you love it as well. And it's why I love talking to you. And I think that's why I get so caught up on coverage because I truly believe that if we cover our sport well and get the right people telling the story through commentary and, and, and nail our coverage, I think our sport can be massive. It's it's the best athletes on the planet. They are so high level. The stories are amazing. We've got great people in our sport, great great characters. And, and you know, you touched on the Sam Laidlaw and Sam Long. That's, they're, they're, they're awesome. Both of those those boys are fucking so good for the sport. But 
that's surface level in a way as well because we have hundreds of other people who are you know equally as as fascinating and 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 equally as great and yeah i think it's so important that we all get together these stories so that's why i love talking to you belinda we talk a lot about triathlon off air as well Um, (laughs) oh i love it disappointed about with because i'm because i'm commentating the the pto us open I wish you were still around commentating it. I would have loved to have caught up with you and sat there and commentated the the race with you in August. So I am actually like, and I've said that to the, like, I'm a little bit disappointed in that because I do think that if if you're not the best in the world at it, Belinda, you're certainly one of the best in the world at at it. And just because you know the sport no. and you're passionate about, it and yeah, you did a you did a great job at Roth, and um, can't speak highly enough of it, and can't I already can't wait for next year. I, I'm going to come and race. I reckon that's how that's how good the coverage was. I just watched it i'm like i need to go and get around that and i think thousands of people would have thought the same so i expect next year to be just as big um thanks again for coming on and, and wrapping up roth with me belinda it was a absolute privilege uh, i know you're, you're so busy over there right now so thank you for not just giving me 30 minutes but now giving me almost two hours of your time i, I appreciate every single second I, I get to spend talking triathlon with you oh uh, look you're a champion and you know what on honestly i, I wouldn't always want to support someone like yourself because I think we need more people in that are as passionate about the sport as you are. Um, so you always, always have time for you. And yeah, I mean, it's busy over here, but after the race, you always get like one or two days where you get to have some time off. So it was perfect. What, I couldn't think of a better way to spend two hours. Um, the day after the, uh, the day after, <laughs> so to speak. So no, thank you, Jack. You're a, you're a darling. And honestly, thank you for all your, um, your compliments, it means a lot because sometimes it's very easy to think, oh, you know, am I doing a good enough job? Can I do better? And sometimes just to get that little bit of positive reinforcement, it, it goes a long way. So thank you. You're a sweetheart. My pleasure. Safe flight back, Belinda. Uh, and uh, yeah, enjoy the rest of your trip. Enjoy the downtime. You, you've, you've fully deserved it. And we'll uh, we'll chat soon later in the year, maybe about the Ironman World Championships. I think we'll do like a little recap or, or recap, something like that. Absolutely. I look forward to it. Thanks, Jack. All right. See you, Belinda. Bye. Ciao. Bye. If you've got races coming up or you want to improve your swimming over a break period because you're sick of being slow in the water and want to be in better positions going onto the bike and stop leaking time to people who are swimming faster than you, yet easier than you, then get yourself some form goggles. I believe we're a bit stuck in the stone age with goggles and swim technology and training, where the other two sports have evolved to bring in technology to help make us faster. I mean, look at what everyone spends on their bike to help make their training more effective. I've personally noticed such a massive difference in my swim training since I switched to form goggles. And to me, it's such an obvious no-brainer that everyone should have them. But it's one of those things that you don't know what you're missing out on until you try it. So trust me, just try it and you'll see what I mean. Head to Form Goggles website and use the discount code HTT15 for 15% off your goggles plus a free one-year premium membership. 